Welcome to Journey of an Esthete podcast, and I am your host, Mitch Hampton. And every guest we have is important, of course, but this is kind of a unique uh, event for us because I don't believe we've ever met men and be in person, face-to-face like this in a stream. This, so this is a first, right, I think? I, I, it is, yeah. We've talked on the phone. Right. We've uh, exchanged messages for right. years, and... Um, I, we've seen each other in motion, but through each right, other's right. videos and, of right. course, through your live stream. So, well, I, I should say a few words. I want this to be the start of uh, what I'll call an occasional morning show. So I'm going to do oh, morning things. Good. I'm going to do morning things like once a month or something, or maybe once every two months. I'm not really a morning person, even after living here for some, you know, for yeah. four years. I've been here. I've become more of a morning person, but I'm still more of an evening person. But you know, it's it's all good. It's all hours of the day, but. Yeah, I'm definitely not a morning person, so thank you for doing this on morning on your time and not mine. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I understand, but you know, I, I sort of um, um, it's hard to know where to begin because you're you're so knowledgeable and accomplished in in many more than one field. And That's nuts because I don't think of myself that way at all. Honestly, Mitch, uh, I think of myself as just some random basic bitch from Chicago. <laughs> Well, that gets to your YouTube channel. Isn't the name of your channel? What, tell people. So, what you're I have to tell you, I, I I posted one video. Yes. And then I got a huge pile of work dumped on me from my job, right. and that kind of I had actually shot the second video, and okay. I'm in the process of editing the second video now. But uh, starting up a YouTube channel is really a lot more work than anybody oh, thinks God. it is, oh, and okay. I have developed a whole new respect for people who do this for a living. Um, especially people who are doing everything on their own. You know, there are a lot of YouTubers right. who will farm out the editing work to somebody else. Uh, you know, they'll find somebody on Fiverr, you know, Upwork or whatever and get some cheap, you right. know, editing labor. Right. Um, I'm doing it all myself and I'm still kind of just learning the software. So my, my first right. video looks very uh, rudimentary, which I is actually, really I actually don't think it's rudimentary at all. It was very... Yeah. You had quick edits and it was, it was humorous. It was a good, you know, good video. I know it was okay. It was too yeah. long. You know, I look at it with a lot of uh, criticism of uh, it's a first video. And I kind of think the first 30 videos is just practice. So the yeah. name of the channel is actually not Madam B, but it's Hey Bichette. It's a, hey, uh, yeah. <laughs> and a Bichette in French is um, it's like a term of endearment that girlfriends use with one another. It's like, Yanni. Right. Hey, you know, uh, but it's funny because, you know, it sounds a little bit like, hey, bitch, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the joke. Hey, hey, well, well, it's interesting because I've uh, spent this year immersing myself in, in certain French films. So do you know the films of Mia Hansen Love? No, I don't. Well, she she was the partner of um, Oliver Essays. Okay. But I think she's the better filmmaker, um, and she's made. She hasn't made that many features, but like she made the movie Eden. Uh, she, she, uh, Isabel so, Isabel Hubert is often her. That's her actor she uses in almost every film. Really? Yes. Did you see okay. this? You know, she's a great filmmaker. Like her film. Did you see the one where Isabel Hubert plays a teacher trying to find herself after a divorce and finds these anarchists in the countryside? Really beautiful. And then she did a film called Goodbye First Love, which is extraordinary from me. Yeah, weirdly, I haven't seen any of these. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, uh, work cuts into my movie and TV time. 
way more than I wish it did, but yeah. But that's sort of, I've been immersing myself in her films a lot uh, for France. You know, as you know, I love Rivette. He's my favorite. So I always go, mm -hmm. always go back and watch Jacques Rivette. And Eric Romer, who's I think underrated. And I do love Romer, yeah. I, been... I... Yeah, you know, those are older films and I, I do tend to go for the older films, but there's certainly a whole lot of work out there that I haven't seen yet. So I look to you right. for those recommendations because I'll be honest with you, Mitch, I married a French guy who's not into French movies. He, I get dragged to every superhero uh, <laughs> Marvel comics. I had to break it to him recently that I'm really tired of watching shows about dragons and I just can't do it anymore. So, <laughs> right. Well, I want, you know, everybody, you know, uh, um, it's, 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 it's an interesting question because I, I have obviously biases and preferences. I'm a jazz musician. I prefer that style of music to other styles of music. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but yet I try to stay, you know, I try to keep a foot and be knowledgeable about all music as much as I can. And, you know, I even try to see many, you know, I don't like many commercial movies, but um, so let me show you something interesting. So um, have you seen White Noise yet? So I have not. I have seen White Lotus. I've seen the first season of White Lotus and I, I think it's a masterpiece. It's very good. My, yeah. my, my interesting. We could talk about him, but this is the, the, the see, look at this. This is Noah Baumbach's vision, this lobby card. Oh, it's no. Like I don't back the 80s, Rumba. And then like, mm -hmm. so because White Noise is on Netflix, he's like giving little, um, if you go to see it in a theater, theater, he's giving you little mementos, like little pluses, like free. Oh, cool. Free. Isn't that great? He's doing that with Greta Gerwig and Adam Driver. So it's, really and it's set in the 80s. Yes. Well, it's based okay. on the DeLillo novel, which I covered last month, you know, so yeah. um but I actually like that a lot, but you really are taken with Mike White's writing and direction. He's very. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Long time fan since Chuck and Buck. So I, uh, I just think he's a brilliant satirist. Yeah. One of the best of our generation. Yeah. Well, I saw I, Chuck and Buck uh, when, in the theaters when it came out in, in Boston. So do you want to, uh, so here's some Paris stories for you. I saw Reservoir Dogs in Paris. Did you really? So because, you must have seen it in a theater where it had French subtitles. <laughs> yes. We. Oui. I saw, and that was my first, of course, Tarantino picture. And I stumbled upon it. I was, I was, I was there, I think, for business, I think, if I remember correctly, with my dad, Aubrey Hampton. And we were look, talking to a soap manufacturer there. But I was so young. What was it, 91? Right? I was just in my, it would have been 24, you know, 20. That's wow, that must have been great to be here at that time. Well, yeah, and that's, um, it's, it's weird. My memories of France at that time are almost like it's this morning, but I'm aware, you know, this is before the, the, the train explosion and all that. Well, that's yeah. confusing. Really um, different time. Really different time. But um, so I have a couple of, of photos of me from that time, but also um, my dad married at the American church in 19. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. yeah. Have you been to the American church? I haven't. Um, should I? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I know that you, well, 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 this is a holiday show, right? This is like right. a show, right? In a way. Um, I don't have anything against churches per se. Uh, I right. view them more as, you know, um, architectural and artistic oh, yeah. works well, rather than institutions. So, well, of course. But I, but as you know, I, I'm a pretty unorthodox believer. So, so right. orthodox, in fact, that I consider free thinkers like yourself. 
to be to be um, on the same mission, actually. Yeah, what is yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I'm, I think I'm probably a lot more um, cynical than you are in some ways. Okay. You know, I think you're an optimist. Mom, but so, I'm actually a pessimist philosophically. Well, more so. Th I, I, I think everything being relative, I'm probably yeah. more pessimistic than you are. Because yeah. I recall us having some discussions about, yeah. you know, the direction of um, the American political landscape. Oh, that. You know, and well, I, I, I way, if that's your criteria, you of course that's pessimistic. pessimistic sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, well, I just America is just one speck on all right. Things. I mean, I get I get called a doomsayer a lot, and I'm right. I'm I'm fine with that. <laughs> fine with it. Somebody's got to be the doomsayer. Right. If it's got to be me, that's cool. Well, I feel like you know that the spirit of the holiday is for everybody, quite literally. And so I feel like you know I'm here in this strange town in North Carolina, and. Um, Surrounded by things I love. That's a mm -hmm. sign, Jacqueline Bissett from Richard Famous, Fred Astaire. That's Mel Mayron from 30 something and uh, direct, big director now. Oh, you're there. reminding me, you know what? You're making me think that I really, I have a stack of pictures that are waiting to be framed and put up because as you can see my wall, I'm in the bedroom and the wall behind yeah. me is just completely bare because oh, yeah. I just have never had time to really deal with it. Right. Uh, even though we've lived here for five years already in this apartment. Um, so yeah, thanks for the reminder that uh, it's important to surround ourselves with the, the things that we love. Yeah, that, that's a, well, well, yeah, that's sort of part of, that wasn't my um, um, motivation or intent in talking about. I was just, I was really more or less talking about um, universality, that the arts mm -hmm. and that consciousness um encompasses so many different kinds of things. I mean, look, there's, there's, um, I mean, I, I, I see both connections and differences among things. And so I do think, you know, if you were going to ask me quite, I, I could write an essay about this subject. So I really, really believe there's a word for you. Werner Erhardt's favorite word, belief, right? <laughs> um, some sarcasm there since it were, <laughs> Erhardt and S used to go, do diatribes against belief which is a sort of right it's a sort of buddhist non-dualist mm. that's in the, in the in the forum or whatever it is but um to give you which i have a belief I, I do think that um mel mayron when she directs julia have you watched that series about julia child i haven't i've only i've only seen julia and julia the movie that came out oh, a long time ago and um I have actually like piecemeal been watching this guy on YouTube who calls himself anti-chef okay. and he's been like, like gradually going through all of Julia Child's recipes and, right. and doing the, like learning how to cook while doing it through her recipes. And it's a very, very entertaining and fun series that he's doing, but I haven't seen uh, the series that the new series. I do highly recommend it. Of course I'm biased because. No sure. Yeah, no, I would love to see that. I mean, my I think we're living in an age where there's so much on offer nowadays. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I, I feel that like I almost feel there's a glut of offerings and I, I start to feel overwhelmed. Like I can't keep up with it anymore. Well, that's I, what I want to get to. So that so in the beginning of our stream, I said you have your preferences. Mm. And I that's spiritually a thing where, you know, at the end of the day, if something comes out about Jacques Rivette or Jacques Demy, I that's going to take my priority. I'm sure. going to 
have to ignore all these other French things. That's just a, that's mm-hmm. a matter of having a style and having a project that you that's your life's project. That's a matter of preference. I think where a lot of folks go wrong is they do get distracted because they haven't they haven't done the detective work of finding out what their preferences are and and, and letting your preferences lead you. And I think that if you do that, you won't be overwhelmed. I think your preferences will naturally, you know, keep narrow your focus and and, and kind of I don't know. It's just a theory, but. It's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm not sure anymore these days. I really feel that um, I'm very much in the camp that we don't make free decisions as much as we think we're making free decisions. I think we're very much controlled with, uh, you know, by uh, neurology, by, by, you know, however our brains are wired and what we're drawn to there. And uh, we're living in an age. I, 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 really- I get the sense that I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a Sam Harris Podcast or the or, or who's that? Michael Schumer is that, are those? Well, are, I, I really, you know, I really do. I feel that it's important that we talk about that because um, the, the the truth is that the or the Orwells and the McLuhans and um, you know they really kind of predicted where we were going to be at this at some point in the in the future when they were you know, at the height of writing their, uh, at their, their research and their work, yeah. we're controlled by algorithms now. And right. I think that we think that we're making choices. And I find that um, I experience uh, incredible feelings of being overwhelmed on a regular basis now where, you know, we're talking about all of these movies and things that I haven't seen yet. Right. And um, last night uh, before my husband left to go to the South of France, right. uh, he gave me, the hard drive on which we keep all of our movies and you know TV shows that we plan to watch at some point. He's very organized. Yeah, he's, he's really probably. organized. We're we're both pretty organized, but you know he more so. And there's just this like growing list. There were you know he says why don't we you know pick a, a TV show that yeah. we can kind of watch in tandem. We can sync up each night and watch you know while I'm down there and you're up here. And there were there had to be 200 TV series there that. I was like, what? I don't even know where to begin to start choosing. Yeah. And I kind of miss the days, to be honest with you. The three networks. When we had three networks, three networks. PBS and the UHF Absolutely. channel. I That's miss it. those days. because USA. Yeah. USA Cinemax. And I think, I wonder, I wonder if this is why you and I feel, uh, I wonder if this is part of the nostalgia we feel for the 70s. Sure. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, I don't want to like over glamorize what it was like to be, you know, a a kid growing up in the 70s. But there were some real benefits compared to today with the info glut. Someone say (laughs) 70s? Yeah, of course, foxy lady. (laughs) Do you know these people? Have you looked at this? Gosh, does he look familiar? Really? Yeah. Who is that on the cover? It's just a male model. It's just not a, a male model. Okay, yeah, so that like was it. just the look of the day, and everybody was like, uh, everybody looked like that. But um, yeah, I think oh, that this I is what, interrupt no, it's okay. It's like I'm just you know thinking this is why I think we we kind of gravitate back towards that's the the right. 70s is the one decade that I'm always kind of reaching back to because right. when you think of it, the 80s is when we started to get cable TV and yep. satellite TV. And that's when we started with the, you know, the sliding little box with the numbers, you know, and, you know, then we had 50 channels and then it, you know, it's expanded and you stay in hotels now and you get a TV with a remote control right. and it's got a thousand channels on. I mean, what are we supposed to do with that as human beings? 
right. know, and like you say, it's very, it, the art of deciding what one's preferences are, what, you know, how to yeah, kind of pare down I, your. So I don't, th so um, I'm not going to, I don't want to delve into the free will debate here, although I could. Um, <laughs> I'm not looking for a debate per, per se, but putting it out there. I meant the free will, you know, the stuff that Sam Harris talks a lot about. And right, Michael, right. And I, uh, yeah. And Dan Dennett. Um, um, but I, it's going to sound like maybe as, as a cop out, but I actually think that determinists and um, I guess I'm an indeterminist, I suppose. I'm not actually not at all determinist. So opposite sides of the aisle, hands across the aisle can find, well, yeah, we're influenced. But don't you think that a lot of our preferences are really mysterious things that predate these recent technologies like like isn't it really a fact that okay so let me give an example i saw godard's weekend at the age of eight mm -hmm. eight years old seeing weekend on the big screen mm -hmm. isn't my interest in jacques rivette connected to that experience isn't there like a yeah definitely of yeah of course it and is yes. day, does that have really much to do with computers or algorithm? i mean i get you know what i'm saying so, no but mitch you and i are of a generation that uh was a, you know, was pre-internet. And if we're wow. talking about, and I think, you know, a lot of what I'm talking about is not necessarily people of our generation, but the people coming up behind us who right. never experienced a pre-internet world. And right. I think, you know, you bring up an interesting point. And I actually think that, yeah, kind of deciding what your preferences are should be a skill that we teach, you know, to kids starting oh, you know in childhood that Absolutely. you're going to be in yeah you're going to be inundated with so many choices and and how are you you know how are you going to overcome the sense of overwhelm that yeah, you have yeah. when you're looking at a thousand channels or 50 million different instagram accounts or tiktoks and all yeah. this kind of thing yeah. you know every day it's kind of a a battle deciding what am i going to consume today right right do you know what well, i mean I, well, I do. And I, I'm happy. One of the reasons, you know, many reasons you're on this show. One of the reasons that we haven't talked about yet, at least not explicitly, is your knowledge of psychology. You, I mean, you are deep into psychology and we'd be, we'd be talking about, I mean, your analysis is, I mean, it may not be totally original with you, I understand. But to me, some of it is, to me, some of it is stuff I have not thought about before. Like, you know what I mean? Like, for example, when we when, when we're discussing the right wing and how pathological it is, yeah. you say it, you say it's childhood trauma, Trumpism, right? That's your theory. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, my my theory about it's my theory is not that it's only um, Trump supporters who have childhood trauma. I, no. I I operate from a basis that absolutely every single person on this planet has some kind of attachment injury or a traumatic event from childhood. Um, it can be something very minor or something major. Yes. And what happens as you get older is you're either going to develop um, good coping mechanisms or poor ones. Uh -huh. And I think that what we see, you know, when you look at the, you know, of course I've been watching the J6, um, the J6 yeah, hearings and, when you look at those people who stormed the Capitol, um, what do you see there if not primal screaming? Yes. Yeah. You know, it just the whole event feels like one one rage filled, desperate, primal scream of a collective 
body of people who were raised in environments that were inherently probably multi-generationally abusive or neglectful or traumatizing and um, led to believe that this was normal. And as a result, you know, it's a kind of like multi-generational gaslighting where the abuse is what to expect and uh, toughen up, you know, and, and of course, even in conservative parental, um, you know, theories, there's a lot of the cowboy up, toughen up, you know, yeah. take it like a man, don't cry, don't be like a girl, this kind of thing. This very, um, you know, if you're a man being raised in this kind of environment where you're not allowed to express any other emotion yeah. other than anger and rage, yeah. you know, uh, lest you be seen as a weak person or a weak man, of course, you're going to turn out this way. Um, what you see there is a, a pathology of uh, antisocial personality disorder gone mainstream now. And they've all been given the green light by the ruling class of yeah, their yeah. political ilk. Right. Well, I think the other thing, too, that, that your, your comments remind me that there's this both sidism. Mm. And the reason why there's a taboo on saying what you're saying, which to me are just facts, the facts of the case. Yeah. Is a polite thing of like, well, both Republicans and Democrats are the same as two sides of the aisle. And you're like, wait a second. One side of the aisle has is rooted in, in abuse and these pathologies. And yeah, there's a kind of a taboo, like I'm glad on our show works for exposing that. But do you think that there's kind of like a sort of a fake politeness or. That kind of I, I think it's not necessarily to me, it doesn't feel like politeness so much. Here's how I see the Democrats these days yeah. and uh, the kind of more liberal left leaning media the rules of the game have changed. They have been, you know, the, the zombies are there at the gate. Huh. They're breaking in. They're in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and um, the people behind the gate, you know, who are supposed to control that gate, they're in denial of what's happening and still trying to play by the same rules. So Democrats and people on the left seem to be yeah. continuing to play by rules of engagement that are way. forever over. You know, like, you know, like forbearance and civility and speaking yeah. in euphemisms. And yeah. um, this is not going to work with what America's facing down right now. Yeah. Um, you know, the left, uh, the left wing media continuously, you know, you have to remember that as much as the Fox News, you know, the Fox rage outrage machine, it's it's an industry. Yeah. And there's a counter industry, and that would be the kind of MSNBC, uh, you know, yeah. liberal media. You know, I mean, some people would say that's the centrist media. I, I don't know what centrist means. Um, I, I think that, you know, everybody's making a lot of money off of this, and this is something that nobody really wants to talk about. And um, I think it's we're long overdue to start talking about these things in hard language instead of always trying to, you know, use this soft euphemistic language. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, George you know. Carlin, remember George Carlin's rants about the soft language, about he'd do that skit about um, shell Yes. And I think Carlin is somebody that definitely, uh, helped, you know, kind of formed my worldview and my personality, yeah, right. my perspectives. Carlin was a huge part of that. Yeah. I think he would change some of his views if he were still alive today. Of course he would. You know, um, at the end of the day, he was a reasonable guy, yeah. uh, very, very intelligent, uh, yeah. very perceptive, astute. And 
you know, I look back on his kind of, you know, the bit he used to do about how, you know, you don't bother voting because your vote doesn't matter anyway. Both sides are the same. That's he what he would change. That's he would change that in a heartbeat today yeah. if he could be here to see well, what's going on. That's what I'm on. saying. It's That's what I'm, I'm calling both sidesism. You know, we're, again, I don't want to spend too long on politics because my show is no, me either. <laughs> but, you know, it needs to be said that one side is illegitimate, corrupt, and insane. And, yeah. the other, and the other side is is kind of, with all of its flaws, an ordinary political party. That's just yeah, point. one side has truly gone, one side has gone completely rogue. Uh, one side has decided that the best way for them to keep their ruling class in power is to appeal to everybody's, their base's worst instincts, to give green lights for everyone to be your worst selves. I'm giving you permission Right. to be your worst self. And people love that because, you know, it is, it is difficult to be a civil person on a daily basis. Believe me, I ride the Metro every day and yeah. boy, there are some days where I'm just like, I have to close my eyes, you know, hang on to my handbag so I don't get mugged while my yeah. eyes are closed and just do the whole like George Costanza, you know, serenity now, serenity now thing until I can get off at the state at my station and get out of there. So um, I think, uh, yeah, but I agree with you. We shouldn't spend we we shouldn't spend too much time on politics because I mean I, we should also spend time on things that are important. I mean, of course, politics is important to you, but sure, but I, want, sure. I did want to show you this picture of my. That's the American church, and that's my dad and his second wife there. Isn't that crazy? Wow! Yeah, nice. And this would be 1999 again, another era, right? An analog analog era i guess have you ever had a chance to see the inner workings of a church organ no that's a whole field of study i have not yet. well if you ever get to back to paris i can oh, probably yeah. arrange something um oh. it's my goodness pretty amazing when you go behind because actually the pipes that you see at the front that's just a facade those aren't even the real pipes all of the piping is at, is behind that wall and um, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. A good friend of ours is a um, church organist in the South of France. So she, she's given us tours behind the scenes and it's pretty fascinating stuff. But I want to get back to you, you talking about your love of French films. Yes. You know, you talk about a lot of these films, like, you know, Jacques Rivette and uh, Eric Romer, Godard. So, you know, a funny thing, you know, I, I live here, I've lived here for eight years now. And um, no, I have yet to meet a French person or have a French friend who's remotely interested in that, that genre, that epoch right. of films. Uh, everybody is very, you know, everybody here is much more interested in what the latest Omar C film is. And that's, I love Omar C. I think he's a great actor. Oh, yeah. He's the most beloved actor in France. Oh, yeah. But, you know, some of the things he has put out are a bit, you know, they're very commercial. Uh, you know, when you look at what's popular, what's trending in France, it's it's right. never, ever the films that we wish they were. Right. Uh, I, I wish they would do a, you know, a short, uh, Claude Chevrolet, uh, you well, know, kind of, you know, marathon. Oh, yeah. But, that just doesn't happen. <laughs> you actually have to kind of seek out those movies here if you want to uh, uh, watch them. In fact, Netflix mm -hmm. just recently started kind of dropping, you know, a few films here and a few films oh, there yeah. from that um, era. Yeah. And uh, yeah, also, it's nice I, that they're I, there. La Ceremonie, speaking of um, Chabro. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, and also, a long career, you know, and also. Yeah. And I kind of took my my YouTube channel name, the Hey Bichette thing from one oh, of man. his fellow Les Biches. Mm -hmm. You know, Biche is like the more adult version of Bichette. That's right. So, uh, yeah. So it's very strange. You know, it's um, we as Americans have a kind of love of this French literature and French film. And in fact, most French people that I know yeah. here in Paris, not really that interested. Uh, they're, they actually are more interested in what America's importing over here or oh, the yeah. UK. Oh, yeah. um, that's a grass is greener thing though. That's like people all the kind of, um, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's sort of, um, that's an example of attention being influenced by. Um, so here's how I see it. There's difference in sameness, right? Yeah. So I really think that the French are seduced by the different difference. The difference. In other words, I think. Yes, maybe. Yeah. So I don't think it's that the American products are that good, actually. No, it's clearly not. And you know, yeah, well, um, again, my apologies to those that loved Coda. Yeah, apologies to those that, you know, again, I'm not saying Coda's trash, but it certainly wasn't the best film of that year, but it never is that wins the Oscar. But my, my point is, my real point, I think, is that I think that in the arts is reception theory, and we often receive things for many different reasons. And I think there's always been, among the French, um, a fascination with America. That, that yeah, that's a lot really of, true. It informs a lot of their decision making, and I would say to an irrational degree, where they neglect their own greatness. I'm going to go that far. That's I think effects of it. Yeah, I think that's really true. I also yeah. think a big part of it is that, um, you know, French people of like yours and and my generation, live, yeah. you know, living here in France. I think it's they feel a real necessity to distance themselves almost from the you know, the France of their parents and their grandparents. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, a lot of those old films that we love to them, they it's just feel like Ugh, it's just old fashioned crap that my, my grandma likes. Yes, I, I can't you know, tell you how many times I've heard that. Oh yeah. They probably to them it's crap. It's uh, I, I'm sick of Michelle Piccoli. I'm sick of. Yeah. It's not, it's not even, and even if they don't think that it's crap, it's just that ugh, anything that my grandma was into, yeah. you know, I'm sure it was great. It was good for the time, but you know, we have better stuff now. And, um, and also, you know, people's tastes have just changed and yeah. people are not, uh, you know, we, we're, we're experiencing a, a crisis of, of a, a, a attention span disorder i think you know people are very used to quick fast jump cuts now and you can't hold people's attention anymore yeah. Yeah. with long takes and long pans and oh, yeah. you know long breaks of silence in the dialogue people don't have the the attention yeah, span for it anymore um it's getting you know I don't know where we're going from from there, but I, I wish that style of filmmaking would come back into vogue because I really love that. Yeah. Um, I find I start to find sometimes well, that, when that, that brings us to Ty West. Yes, right. Yeah, isn't isn't, um, isn't um, Pearl a really good film? Isn't it it is. Uh, I I will go so far as to say I think Pearl is a masterpiece, and I think um, I know that that word gets overused a lot. But yeah. let's start with X, and we should probably preface by saying oh. that there may be spoilers coming up. 
So I am a big fan of horror. I do love horror cinema. And uh, somebody recommended X to me. And like I said, I just have not had time for movies and TV, uh, you know, like, like I'd like to have. So I finally found the time to sit down and watch X. Yeah. And, you know, yes, it's got a lot of the, you know, horror tropes that we're expecting. But by the end of X, I'm like, gosh, that movie was so much more than a horror movie. It's almost reductive to just call it horror because it's much, much more than that. And somehow Mia Goth herself, Mm. I think, is going to be somebody to watch. Oh, yeah. She is redefining what feminist cinema means. Thing. that's really so you know so for example and also you know they're she and ty west they're kind of also um i think that they're addressing certain issues such as um how the elderly are portrayed in film oh absolutely you know and i really loved that i thought you know because you we're so used to you know the 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 movies of elderly people you know they're all sweet and old and aging and living in a you know, the, the, the notebook and these kinds of things. Yes. And now we have this movie where the elderly people are the danger. <laughs> right. Well, you know, and you, you rarely see that because we, we look at elderly people and we think of them as being, you know, harmless. Yeah. They're old, they're harmless. They can't, you know, move and walk and talk like they yeah. used to. Yeah. And uh, that's not really, uh, you know, um, that's not accurate. That's not necessarily always the case. Well, I, and I, I think it's fun. That I was really blown away by Pearl and just the yes, I was too. I thought I thought Pearl. Was, well, the way it imagines early twentieth century and the and the the mass yeah. pandemic and the and the um, it's like you could see that he you know he knows his Vincent Minnelli and Douglas. Sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's he's. I mean, yeah, you can see what his influences are. That's one thing I really love about uh, Ty West's work is that you can see what his influences are, and yet his work doesn't feel derivative. Right, right. They all feel like an homage rather than, you know, a, a carbon copy of something else. Right. Uh, you know, in the same way that Tarantino, his films, they don't, you know what his influences are because we've seen all yeah. the same films that he's seen, That's but right. you're like, wow, look what he's doing. Like he's taking a certain style and a certain trope yeah. and completely making it yeah. his own. And I think Ty West is doing the same thing. Very he's cool. definitely one I'm going to be watching Absolutely. for the you know years to come and hopefully we'll continue to put out work uh, you know that's this good but but Mia Goth I, uh, I mean she just she yeah, blew me she has blown me away in those two yeah. movies absolutely blown me away and I you know I've seen that oh she's the new it girl of horror and I think uh, no, she's just the new it it woman it period. Yeah. she's the it woman she's not a girl she's a very very talented yeah. individual very gifted yeah no, it's you an know, amazing performance. Her emotional range in Pearl, yeah. her my gosh, every micro expression, every yeah. every move of her body, yeah. the woman acts with her every fiber of her being. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And she's absolutely phenomenal. And I think we need uh we need more stories like Pearl, we need more movies yeah. like Pearl, uh, we need more Mia Goth and Ty West. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that we 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 see we kind of connect over those films and her. It just um really remarkable, really remarkable. I, yeah, I I'm glad that you liked that. I I thought that um you would find both of those films interesting. And there's going to be a third one coming out called Maxine. Oh wow, interesting. 
Yeah, that one is going to be about the main character, one of the characters in X. That's right. So that's going to be pretty interesting. And I think I have a feeling that one will be set in the 80s. If I have to guess, oh, that yeah. one's going to be set in the 80s. That'll be fun. It will. Yeah. Speaking of stuff set in the 80s, have you watched any um, any of these shows taking place in the 80s recently? Or have you, what, what have you, I know you keep up with things and you're kind of. I haven't lately. And that's why, you know, you're, uh, a lot of the things you're talking about, let me look at my, I'm going to have to look at my phone and see. Uh, right. what, what has been recently viewed in my I mean, you're, you're incredibly busy, but I, you actually watch more than I do, actually. Which is do I? Mess. I'm not sure that I do lately. Yeah, because um, yeah, you're always saying, have you, you're always saying, have you seen this? No, have you seen this? You're the one that you're the one that directed me to Ty West, you know. Right, right. But again, you know, th those two movies were some were were movies that a friend had recommended to me and said, okay. whatever you're doing, stop and just watch these two Ty West movies. You're gonna love them. Um, as it turns out, you know, things that I watch on Netflix are mostly true crime. <laughs> Same here. Same here. Yeah, it so seems to be mostly true crime. Dahmer, Dahmer, you know, oh. of course, Dahmer, you know, how can we not talk about Dahmer? Well, I have a, I have a blog post coming out. Actually, in January, I discussed the one in a, a week before I talk about Ryan Murphy. Oh yeah! So I praise Ryan Murphy is having a unique vision. And yeah, he, I agree. He imagining the biopic, totally, totally different. Yeah, like, um, and impeachment and um, uh, Johnny Versace and and, and very. I and, haven't seen the Clinton one yet, yeah. uh, and I know that I need to, and that is on the list, on the growing right. list of stuff to keep track of. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, as a general rule, anything that Ryan Murphy uh, is attached to, I usually love. Yeah. yeah. Um, interesting. You know, there have been a couple of uh, exceptions to that rule, but as you know. As a whole, his body of work is cohesive. It's well, he's got you mentioned Dahmer, and that's um, you know, that's um. His approach to Dahmer was uh, nobody of no one's ever done that before. Done that. Many now, films here's, here's a million dollar question: If you're in your opinion, is part of the uniqueness of it a function of the serialization aspect? What serialization does in terms of a, the sort of following psychology over time? It's an interesting. You think well, I I don't I'm not sure about that. I mean, yeah. I can say that I thought he was very true to the book that the series is based on. Yeah. That he he really tried to do his best to make sure the screen adaptation of that book was yeah. uh, well represented. Um, I think it has to do. I think that the eeriness of the series has to do with two things: the pacing, mm -hmm. the ambiance. Yeah. And the phenomenal performance by Evan Peters. Oh wow! Yeah, you know uh, he he's another like young actor who just kind of blows me away in yeah. every performance. So you oh. know, who would have ever thought that this kid years ago would would turn out to be this absolutely phenomenal talent? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I really, I think those three things. Oh yeah, those are important. But I, but I do think that there's a genre, not a genre. There's a formal consideration. I, I don't think that he. So I don't think Ryan Murphy could accomplish what he does in a standalone ninety-minute picture. 
No, not at all. I don't think, yeah, yeah. I I see what you mean, like doing it as a series and stuff. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Because that's, you can only employ that kind of pacing if you have enough episodes, you know, a number of episodes in which to do it. Um, And so I do, I do love when a you know, kind of a big involved story like this is done as a series versus yeah. just one motion picture. Yeah. I, I actually thought, um, oh gosh, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of it. What was the last thing that Scorsese did? The Irishman. Yeah, The Irishman, yeah. That should have been a series. Yeah. I think Scorsese is to the point where um, he's kind of not moving along with the times. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure he probably insisted that, you know, I, I want to make a four hour movie and he doesn't understand uh, the, the, the way that the, the psychology of humans consuming, you know, televised and, yeah. and, and streaming content these days. And had he broken that up into six episodes, yeah. I think he would have had better reviews. Yeah, I think people would have been more receptive to it. I, I've got a whole bunch of friends who are like, oh, I can't watch a four hour movie. I'm like, it's actually pretty good. Like nah, can't do it. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I, I think he missed a, I missed he missed an opportunity there. And I think that this is a part of like filmmakers' arrogance that he doesn't want to do anything in this you know format that yeah. he considers to be beneath filmmaking. Yeah, he's wrong though. He, he is wrong. He's wrong on a couple. Of, I mean, for first of all, is Melanie Mayron told me herself it's the same viewfinder. Exactly. You looking to the same as a director. So to her, it's all the same. Yeah, exactly. But it's when you break things up into kind of more bite-sized pieces for your audience, it's a lot easier to consume. It's very basic, you know, basic psychology. There we go again. But, you know, my training is in psychology. So it's hard for me to not see everything through that lens. Sure. Well, uh, do you mind then, uh, you said you want to talk about Elon Musk. And I I should, I should... I, I feel that we have to talk yeah, about him. I, don't, I feel like we can't not talk about Although, him. Here's the thing. I, I should I should be, a, this is a full disclosure. I never loved Elon Musk. Full disclosure, I did. Ah, I was so a very interesting. Full... See, I think it's because I'm autistic. I think. I don't, I'm not saying I don't have loves and hates, but my loves and hates are very rare. And mm-hmm. so when somebody's a public figure, when I analyze that, and I analyze every public figure, I try to do in this comprehensive intellectual way. Yeah, that makes I, sense. Try to say, I try to say they get this right. But I was always on to his flaws. Um, Interesting. I was yeah. always on to his flaws because I never worshipped him. Because I don't have that, I don't have that thing in the brain. If this is a, if this is an autism thing where I just naturally worship what's popular. Or see, okay. do that. So, so yeah, yeah, I just, yeah. I have no shame in admitting that I think that maybe some of it too is that you're a heterosexual male, uh, you know, processing a man a oh, public, who's a public figure. I don't know. And I, I have no problem admitting that I was an Elon fangirl. I thought he was adorable. I thought he was just oh, okay. the most lovable dork. He seemed to be so full of goodwill. Every interview you saw him in, every interview you read right. about him, um, you know, you just, you, and of course, I there were probably red flags all over the place that I missed. Right. And, you know, that would be in keeping with uh, 
parts of my private life. Well, isn't that, isn't that just a natural sexual thing of life? Like it's human. Like for example, if, if there, as you know, so being, I guess, straight, um, I guess if, if, you know, Cheryl Teagues or if Megan Fox or, you know, Raquel Welch or, you know, you know, sex symbols, past, present, you know, I guess you would say I would, I could possibly give them a free pass or not be sensitive, right. Not be, willing to to if, if they if they indeed are not exemplary figures right in their personal life is it a similar kind of a similar i mean i don't i don't know is it a sort of a i don't know the parallel the parallel that um that um hello i'm back um, are you there yeah, yeah you froze yeah, up for a minute so i heard megan fox was the last thing i heard oh there was a, just example so um could, could i could we have a, a blind spot if somebody is really a hot public figure, an extraordinarily attractive public figure. That we're yeah, and, you know, I mean, I know, you know, I've seen all of the memes of, you know, poking, you know, kind of ad hominem attacks on Elon Musk's physicality nowadays. But, you know, keep in yeah. mind, he has been on the scene for decades. Okay. He's, you know, he's not new. And yes, he did have, you know, he has had some hair replacement kind of, you know, procedures yeah. and whatever. Yeah. None of that matters to me. But, you know, there was a time where he seemed so full of goodwill more than anything. And that just whether you thought he was attractive objectively, that made him more attractive. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, yes, you know, once you once you become a fan of somebody, yeah. you start ignoring Anything that doesn't, you know, you're looking for confirmation bias. You're not looking for red flags or anything that's going to yeah. contradict what you want to think of that person. So I was a, an Elon fangirl. Okay. Oh, up until, yeah, a good few, maybe four or five years ago. Um, and it was his behavior on Twitter that started to turn right. me off. Right. Um, when I started to see patterns of behavior that for me matched a pattern of behavior that felt like a 13 year old little incel on 4chan. I just did not understand yeah. why a grown man is behaving this way and why a grown man who's supposed to be changing the world, you know, he's brought us electric cars and, you know, he's going to take us to Mars and all of this stuff. Not that I ever believed the, the Mars thing, but I thought it was great. The electric car situation I thought was great because, uh, you know, I am definitely, uh, yeah, climate change is definitely like my number one existential fear oh, as yeah. a human being. Um, so, uh, you know, seeing... Well, I, I don't want to be misunderstood. So when I say that I don't worship or I'm not a fan of Elon Musk and I analyze him in my own... It's the way I talk about... Actually, it's the way I approach my show, my podcast. I always look at the things that are good in a person. I try to be very... And as I'm very aware of that, you know, innovation... But I, I, start with a, right. I start with a set of assumptions that guide life. I just assume that anybody that does something good or two things good or three things good, mm -hmm. I always assume that there's a possibility that they're not all good in all aspects of life. And that assumption guides the way I, I think, the way I take in information. Now, I'm not saying that that's how one should live. I just can't, can't help it. It's the way my mind works. So that, that sort of, it's kind of... Um, there's a detachment there. I think. It makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, of course, I'm a, I am a I am an emotional person. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not neuro. I'm, I'm very neurotypical, put it that way. Right, um, right. And so I, you know, um, 
Yeah, I was definitely into the fact that he was an innovator and I bought into the myth. And this is something we have to talk about with this guy, because what's what's coming to the, the surface now, what's, what, what journalists are starting to bring, that the scum is rising to the surface. Yeah. He lied about his credentials. He lied about his education. He lied about his, his college degrees. Uh-huh. Uh, it turns out that he, it's very possible that his greatest gift actually is just like Elizabeth Holmes, Sam Bankman-Fried, Donald Trump, his greatest gift is the gift of the gab. Right. You know, yes, and is what I <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I I'm not sure that I I don't know if he's a I don't know if I would call him a grifter per se, but he is a very interesting person in the sense that, and he's very op- he's talked about these things openly, and part of why I think a lot of you know people like me came to be fangirls and fanboys of him is that in interviews he would talk very openly and sincerely about his Asperger's, his bipolar, right. um, you know, his, his, how he was bullied at school, oh, how yeah. he struggled with, you know, feelings yeah. of being um, not one of the cool kids. And right. I feel like what we're witnessing is a guy who's in his fifties now, who's still trying to be part of the bully club. He's so oh, desperate right. to be, a, he, he wants to be accepted by the jocks. You know, it, it almost feels sometimes watching him, like he's trying to pass a, 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 a freshman year hazing. Um, I and I just, you know, I, I was talking to a girlfriend last night and I said, I don't understand. What are we witnessing here with Elon Musk, with this behavior? Like, why did we not see this mm-hmm. years and years ago? Mm-hmm. And she said to me, Deb, the love bombing phase is over. Oh, like Whoa, yeah, actually, that makes a lot of sense because what yeah, even on a mass scale, charismatics, and it's hard to call Elon Musk a charismatic, you know, might might sound weird calling him a charismatic because he clearly, you know, kind of a dorky guy, kind of a nerdy guy. He doesn't have a lot of flair. Um, but that was part of his charm. That's what made him endearing was that he was, you know, very nerdy and awkward, which he attributed to having Asperger's. Um, the thing is, all of these people, you know, I think all he's ever what I get, the, I get the sense that what he wants more than anything in the world is for people to love him. Right, right. You know, and if he's not getting it and, you, you know, if he's not getting it in ample quantities from the political left, he's going to go find it on the political right. And it's much easier, it seems, to get it from the political right because the political left is much more diverse, much more um, discriminating, much more critical of one another, even like, you know, inter-tribal kind of conflict. I have have one thing to say about autism because I am autistic. And so one vice that we have, if, if we could talk about a vice autistic, it's also a virtue is that when we're really interested in something, we become an expert on the thing we're interested in, which I think is has a lot to do with his accomplishments. But here's the, the, the shadow of that. So I don't know much about Elon Musk, but let's say he's an apolitical person by nature, not an activist. Maybe, you know what I'm saying? Maybe that's not his focus. He's vulnerable to being used yes. by the right wing. And so autistic people, we have to be very conscientious that when something is not our expertise, that's why I try to spend time, actually try to spend time on things over which I'm not an expert. 
so I can be kind of, so I can dip, dip my toe and say, well, this is what's going on. Even things I don't love is a way of not just being well-rounded, to, to be on guard of like, you know, being manipulated by other people. And it, unfortunately, you know, it's very, I can see very much as a certain kind of personality type that's like an experimenter or a scientist, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I can see them getting the ear of the Republicans and not thinking twice. Unless, think unless hold on, one more thought, one more thought. Unless that autistic person is a politico and is therefore committed. See, that would be, see what I mean? So Yes, I and, and you're on to something because there are actually, you know, some theories trending online that what we're witnessing possibly is the radicalization of Elon Musk by the right. And you know, there are a lot, there are a lot of theories floating around as to why he's behaving like this, why he's, you know, gradually gotten worse and worse over the years. It's clear that he's addicted to Twitter. It's clear that he's addicted to the attention that he gets when he tweets. Yeah. Um, he has a lot of traits in common with Donald Trump in this sense. Um, but you know, that's the thing, you know, there are a lot of questions floating around. Like even I have a lot of questions, like, was he always, did he always hold these repugnant views uh, and was just hiding it? Are we seeing the mask drop off of a psychopath or are we seeing a person who is neuroatypical and, and who has bipolar getting yeah. um, co-opted and, and utilized as a weapon by the far right? Because he has yeah. clearly swung completely far right now the um the tweet about uh fauci was the end of it for me i i i blocked i blocked him i i i just thought you know and i have not deleted my twitter account yet and um there's a part of me that's hoping somebody will will get in there and go we we we, we can't have this anymore we cannot have this anymore um i do think twitter has value value to uh the global community without twitter People who are living in, um, you know, oppressed countries under uh, authoritarian and autocratic rule cannot get messages out to the rest of the world about the realities happening in their countries. Uh, we need we need this this platform to stay alive mm -hmm. uh, for all of its faults. Uh, you know, no Twitter, no Arab Spring. Oh, that's so, interesting. Right. You know, and, and so we need, we need that. And, you know, the, the, the issue of content moderation is always going to be an ongoing challenge because to some degree, you know, I hear a lot of people complaining and I've heard over the years, people complaining about the problems of content moderation on social media. And my, 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 I have a very simple answer to that. Block. <laughs> delete and block. I do not understand. I know it's tough to do that because it means that you're going to block 500 people a day. So block 500 people a day. Right. Well, you know, it's um, content. I mean, I, we've discussed this before. The 18th century, which is my favorite century, actually. More That's than interesting. Or okay. just like the 19th century, especially. Okay, the, I didn't understand. I never knew that about you. Especially the Victorian period. Yeah. But the, if we're talking okay. about, I'm reading a book now in the 1760s. It's you know very interesting. The, cool. because when, the reason why I like it is when the Enlightenment is at war with the Romantics. Mm. That's the period when they're sort of debating with each other. But that in itself, that friction is the, it's what's so exciting. You get, you know, the early novel. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. But no, no. I mean, it is interesting. Even if you, you know, if you study the French Revolution at all, right. um, you'll, you know, especially post-revolution France yeah. was yeah. a very, very, uh, ooh, 
I wouldn't want to been been around here for that. You know, we got we they the the, the revolutionaries reached a point where you know if you said if you were caught eating a croissant, it was you're going to the gallows for that. You know, use the vu form. You're going to the gallows. You know, that's the thing about every revolutionary movement. There's always that group of people, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of take it a little too far. Just a tad too far. Why did I mention the 18th century? What were we doing? My brain, Brainy, there was a reason. I'm talking about Elon Musk and. <laughs> there was a reason. Enlightenment, romanticism, something. There was something. Oh, I lost my train. Was it, there was. Um, um, I don't know. Well, we'll get back to oh, it. I don't know. I think I, think I, I think I know. And that. Um, um, So charismatic figures. So I think charismatic figures, yeah. And Twitter and these things. I think that these platforms, I think they're they are tools and we can use them, you know, respond. I know it sounds corny. Yeah. Absolutely. Responsibly. But I but I also think too that um um see again back to my I'm talking about all these mm-hmm. Hancock and Mel Mayron. What do they all have in common? They're all arts. What are the arts? I think all the arts, whether it's sculpture, stand-up comedy, whether it's George Carlin, Margaret Cho, they're actually all part of the human project, not mm-hmm. only creating something new, but actually self-understanding and the expression outwardly of that self-understanding. I happen to think that's beautiful. Yeah, it is. That's kind of how I would describe it. So it's Yeah, like- no, I, I totally agree with you there. Yeah. And I think that's still, that holds true today. You know, any artists, comedians, um, you know, they're, they're, they're the zeitgeist. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, going to get back to, you know, just a little bit to the content moderation issue, because now oh, that we yeah, are- that's what I was going to, I'm sorry. Now you, so content moderation in the 18th century, that was the century in which um, free speech was invented. It's one of the first amendment. Co- so it's interesting that, so the concept of our, our modern notion of free speech has a history that comes out of a particular century, a particular, you know, the 18th century comes in a particular, right? Mm-hmm. And that's actually a problem because it's, um, the free speech absolutists will hate what I'm going to say, but, but hear me out. <laughs> um, that's actually what's wrong. So that's why we really need a rethinking of free speech because a lot of the baggage of the free speech is in a world of muskrats mm-hmm. and pens and quills, mm-hmm. not a world of Twitter and bombs and terrorism. Exactly. And so, so, just, just, so, so just what, the, what, no, let me be very, even more blunt. Of course we need content moderation. So yeah. in other words, if, if you, if you have a politically corrupt party, that's illegitimate as a political party. And I'm going to go that far. I don't think Republicans now are sort of a, a it's rogue is too kind of word. It's, it's like a, almost a fascistic party. Oh, well, not almost. It is. It's a fascist party. Well, in historical conditions like that, ought you to ban? In other words, why not ban, you know, yes. advertisements and bans? You see what I'm saying? That's just. I am a- not saying that we shouldn't have content moderation. Don't get right. me wrong. I am far, I am not a free speech absolutist. And in fact, right. Um, you know, the First Amendment, the, the free speech is a poor moniker for the concept because that's right. not actually the concept. That's right. The concept is actually meant to be moderated speech that's and right. that there are certain types of speech that yeah. the government must not be allowed to shut down 
And sure. of course, the First Amendment is is about the government, what the government, what the right. government's power is. Twitter, right. Facebook, all social media right. platforms. These are not government-owned and operated platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do agree that there should be content moderation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I worry very much about the radicalization. Clearly, social media is used to radicalize young mostly, yeah. mostly young men, young men yeah. and boys, not just men, but literally boys to um, take up arms against a government or an institution or a race of people or an ethnicity or a religion, whatever the case may be. So yeah, social media companies have a responsibility to moderate. uh, And, but at some point it is a game of whack-a-mole is what I'm saying. Um, So you, you know, yes, they have a responsibility and they should uh, definitely ban the most odious of accounts. Sure. But there has to be some personal responsibility if you're going to use social media as well. And it is, it's, we have to rely on the company itself to play whack-a-mole, but we also have to whack some moles. You know, I go back, I I go back to the zombie apocalypse (laughs) uh, analogy often because it has to be a collective effort. Like, you know, yes, we might have like, you know, a, um, you know, a cannon that we can fire off into a herd of zombies and that'll get rid of a whole bunch of them. But there's always going to be strays and that's going to be up to us to kind of, you know, bow and arrow or machete or whatever we need to, you know, (laughs) get those people. I'm not condoning violence. This is just an analogy. Um, you know, I'm using a zombie analogy here, but I'm, but what concerns me is that we have a lot of people who use social media, who, uh, don't feel that they should have any responsibility whatsoever Mm -hmm. in doing their part as well to just block and delete, block and delete, mute, block, delete, do what you have to do because there's no social media company, no centralized social media company can protect you 100% from content you don't want to see and hear. Yeah. Yeah, There's no company that can possibly do it. There are how many billions of users on, on, on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, It's impossible. You know, people talk about Twitter as the town square. It is not a town square. there's no town square anywhere on the planet that has billions of people in it. Um, it is a megaphone uh, for anybody who wants to, to use it. Sure. And um, so, yeah, I do. We do need content moderation, but everybody's got to take up arms against this. Sure. And, uh, I hope well, that people who are, hang, you know, who are staying right. on Twitter will kind of understand this and not expect that the world is going to protect every little sensibility that you have. Yeah, that's um. Well, that's our Gen X. Uh, you and I have this Gen X kind of um. What is it? Savvy or toughness? Maybe I don't know what the word is. Or I guess as people talk a lot. I mean, about. Mitch. I mean, I, I, Gen X. We 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 grew up playing on those carousels that you know kids would just spin them around so fast that you get knocked right off of them. Oh, yeah. You know, we got we got cut up and scraped and bruised, and you know we ha- those were literally our battle scars. So yeah, That's- maybe to some extent we we have a thicker skin. We grew up in a time where you could get bullied at school, punched out, get into fights. And parents weren't suing each other over it. And I'm not saying that it was okay. I'm not saying it was okay. Anything that we in, it just know, informs our but it, 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 it definitely shaped our personalities. So, you know, definitely as a kid who, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, a kid, you know, a, a, a latchkey kid in mm-hmm. Chicago, 
I, I definitely have a bit of fight in me. I, I definitely have a bit of, you know, I'm definitely a brawler. <laughs> so yeah. um, I'm not afraid to come to the fight. Yeah. I'm not afraid to take on uh, whoever's in front of me. Oh well, yeah, that's, that's one of the things I admire about you uh, tremendously. Um, I did, you know, I, I forgot I was going to queue up the Bob Newhart show theme and have the, where he's taking, where he's going down the train, you know, about Bob Newhart. The guy who got me interested in uh, going down the field, into the field of psychology in the first place. Bob, Bob Newhart, really? <laughs> yeah, the Bob Newhart Can we show. talk about that? I'm yeah, a, I'm a I, it was my favorite show as a kid, and um, I remember thinking, what does he do? He just kind of talks to, you know, nutty people all day long. That seems like <laughs> that could be a fun job, you know? Like, in the end, I ended up studying psychology because I think I kind of wanted to know why what what the fuck is wrong with me, <laughs> you know? it's. I think a lot of people enter the field of psychology with a, a want of understanding their themselves better, their yeah. situations or why their lives keep turning out a certain way. So for me, it was much more um, of a kind of like um, self-seeking, you know, self-exploration project. And then I just became more interested in it as a discipline and a field in general. So, and, you know, I think my work with uh, my previous work as a younger person with at-risk youths right. really informs uh, how I perceive what's happening now with the rise of Trump and his supporters and the, you know, the, in, you know, it's incel nation now. And, um, you know, the proud boys and the oath keepers and all of these people, these are all men who yeah. just never emotionally developed oh. ever in their whole lives. And all they know is rage and anger, uh -huh. rage, anger, entitlement. That's all they know. And, um, while I'm on this train of thought, I'm going to say something really controversial. Oh, but before you do, I'm going to um, show you. Do you mind an interruption? No, go ahead. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. You know who this is, though. Yeah, oh. of course. Yeah. No, then, I haven't seen that book. Wow, this, what a great picture. This is what she was doing before Dirty Dancing. This is incredible. Novel. She so, wrote that. Wow. Yes. I've never seen that book. Yes, with a with a um yeah, it's because it's early, early Eleanor. I thought I just started in there. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyhow, go ahead. You can see okay. something. Yeah, I am gonna say something controversial. Oh. Um a lot of people are gonna I'm gonna this is a very unpopular opinion. Okay. Uh Brace. I can't remember exactly who I was watching recently. It oh. was somebody in a live stream. An, oh. A book author, an expert oh. on online radicalization. Okay. And she said, we can't dismiss anybody as being irredeemable. We have to believe that everybody is redeemable. Oh. I 100% disagree with that. And I think that's part of the wrong thinking on the left. I think that we keep wanting to believe that people can change and be better and find their better angels. That clearly year after year since the rise of since Trump ascended has proven that theory wrong. Um, now, we could say maybe in theory, everybody is redeemable. But when you have to think about what would it take to redeem this person? Do you know what I mean? I it's like, well, actually, actually, I sort of agree with you, because as you know, for me, there are different realms of life. So I think what you mean by irredeemable is like basically existential risk and time, right? Yes. So, so I think what people are doing is they're confusing two aspects of life. They're confusing the therapy room 
with actual work in society. Those are two separate things. And there can, I think that's what this author you're talking about is doing. They're not, they don't understand like, you know, it's basically the issue is trying to prevent a crime or trying to prevent grievous harm. That's your, that, that should be in that moment your emphasis or you're in so that's the, yeah that's the and i think point. that you know her her Ooh. argument was that her 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 argument was that we should be talking to the sorts of people who did j6 we should be talking to the roger stones we should be talking to you know uh, the worst of the worst who are now you know getting handed uh, prison well, sentences you know, I, 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 talk talking to them and trying to figure out where they're right. coming from and seeing how we can reach them like we have to accept that there is a good good portion of people at this point who are no longer reachable not reasonably not reasonably reachable like right. i think if you could take the worst well, like the 1860s yeah yeah if you could take the worst person that went into that you know into the capital on january 6th if you to take find the worst person in there and remove them completely from everybody they know from their tv from their podcast from everybody they know and put them into an environment where all they can do all day long is watercolors plein air paintings you know and and listening to you know harp music it's yeah. possible that person could change after a, a number of years, you know, given them the only TV show they're allowed to watch is RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes, it is possible that you could change that person, but it would take years. And that's my point. Yeah, that's you know, yeah that's, once somebody that's why I said it, there's a, the ex existential risk is time sensitive. It's sort of like how are we exactly gonna, yeah. and once once somebody embraces evil, we're not just talking about people who are have gone, you know, off on a beat, you know, off on the wrong path. They're not off on the they're wrong path. They're embracing evil. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to accept as a society that we have a large number of Americans and not just Americans, frankly, you know, this is kind yeah. of a global trend of people who are, who have decided that they are okay with embracing evil as long as the evil that they embrace punishes the people they don't like. Mm -hmm. That's it. And, that, and, and in America, the people that they, they really hate the most are liberals. That's it. Right. You know, it's not. Well, does, that mean, does that mean that they hate us? I guess they do. Right? Well, you know, I, I don't know where I, I I don't think of the. Um, I think it's wrong to look at politics on a spectrum. I think the left and right binary spectrum is wrong. I think cool. we should look at it in Venn diagrams. Okay. I was, so, that was sort of half of a joke. I was half joking. Yeah, no, no. I get, I get that it was half of a joke, but I, you know, that was something I wanted to express. That I really think that we look at politics, uh, you know, in this kind of binary left-right, and you know, where do you fit on that continuum? And it is wrong to look at it as a continuum. We should be looking at it as a Venn diagram. diagram. That we have different values and different. Um, you know, uh, priorities and different perspectives and different worldviews, and they're yeah. going to overlap, you know, here, yeah. there, and everywhere. And so I, I, I have nowhere that I fit. Uh, I oh. literally don't feel represented by either side fully. Right. Uh, definitely not on the right. I don't feel at all represented by that. Even though I, I, I ally with the left, yeah. I am not sure that I am a lefty. Put it that way. I well, don't know that I describe myself as a lefty or a liberal or progressive. Even though if you look at my views, somebody else might go, oh, well, she's clearly progressive. I, I wouldn't, I don't know that I'd want to, I'd call myself that. Right. Well, then yeah. I think you and I are probably similar politically. But again, as you know, I put politics towards the bottom of the list. 
Yeah, and I don't think we should be even looking at things in the term in terms of politics anymore. I really do think yeah. that we need to start looking at things through the lens of psychopathology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we are way past politics. Politics is over. It's this uh, psychopathology versus this psychopathology from now on. Uh, you know, it's really. I think we're really in an existential battle between good and evil. Yeah, that's true. And this is something I might have in common, you know, uh, with people who who are religious, who are believers. Yeah. I do have friends who are Christian. I have friends who are mm -hmm. Muslim, and uh, yeah, I have Jewish friends. I have friends of many different faiths. Yeah, and I think the thing that we all kind of sure. agree on right now is that we're this is a good versus evil thing as close mm -hmm. as it's ever been in our lifetime so in that sense i guess we're living in a time like the 30s right pearl harbor it's almost that it's that kind of right i i think so it feels very yeah. pre, it feels very late weimar berlin right now it feels very late weimar republic you know like yeah. right on the cusp of um something horrible about to happen yeah and um you know, since I have a platform right now, I'm going to come out and say it. I am very, very, very disappointed with Merrick Garland. I think he was a bad hire. Um, I don't have any faith right now in the United States Department of Justice. And it's great that he has appointed Jack Smith. Um, but at the end of the day, he's passing on his duties to somebody else. And we have seen this over and over and over during the Trump era that uh, Mr. Trump continues to commit crimes openly that we all witness every day. Mm -hmm. And absolutely nobody is willing to take him on. And I, uh, something we keep hearing from the Justice Department over and over is, oh, we don't want to appear political. Well, you know, I have a message for Merrick Garland. Not what, you know, being more concerned with po appearing political mm -hmm. than you are with protecting the United States Constitution and democracy in america that's a form of vanity sure absolutely and i think we also saw this with james comey right. um you know another doj employee who i think really screwed us yeah so you know i don't think these are bad men i think that you know they're they're primarily these are primarily good people um who uh definitely you know are slaves to their own you know need to protect their image over protecting the rule of law. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a much, you know, you're, um, I'm happy that you have a platform here and that you came on, on um, the show to talk about all this. Um, is there a, is there a, um, anything you want to say before I play you the song for every guest I play there, I capture them in music. Well, I didn't show that way, but before that, is there Before anything? you end the show, would you like to see the artifacts that I've brought? Yes. Because I know you ask your guests to bring you some artifacts. artifacts. Now, like I said, because I live in a very small French apartment, uh, you know, I, I used to be a collector of many, many, many things, record albums, um, you know, all kinds of vintage uh, memorabilia. I was only able to carry with me, you know, so much when I moved across the pond 15 years yeah. ago, and uh, I very seldom accumulate, you know, new things. So well, um, I'm going to start. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to decide what order I should show you these things in. Okay, I'm going to start with just, since we're talking about previous centuries, um, I have a, an old medicine bottle.
ichthyol. <laughs> and apparently this is something that you would put on, it's still sold today. It's something that you would put on your skin if it's, you know, inflamed or if you have a rash or something. I'm not exactly sure, but um, I actually, I actually, my, I actually got this from my husband. He acquired this for me um, at some antique shop or other. It's so old that the cork is petrified inside the bottle. I'm trying to, how do I get yeah. that to the, yeah, the cork is so old. It's literally petrified inside the bottle there. So I've never even been 